All right. Well, who's ready to begin the fourth and the final week of our stay-at-home Ignatian retreat? All right? I'm hoping you have enjoyed this. You don't have to respond with yes or no. Because I know this isn't... Somebody... Some, I met with some recently and they kind of said, you know what? That, that, that kind of stuff's not for me so much. And that's fine. Um, but um, we're, we're doing this, this historic 500-year-old template um, created by a guy named Ignatius um, who was a counter-reformer and, um, back in so 500 years ago. And he um, created this template to take people away on a 30-day silent retreat every year. They're going, this was for ministers. 30-day silent retreat. Couldn't say a word. Who could go for 30 days without talking? Who could go for 30 minutes without talking? <laughs> you know, so, um, so um, Ignatius started this, and it was so effective that they kept the template going for the last 500 years. And um, so a lot of us are used to this, this process when we go on our, our three-day silent retreats, which, by the way, just so you know, we're trying to get another uh, retreat started. We've tried the last two years. Um, it won't be the, the old traditional silent retreats, but it'll combine some of that. But the facilities have all, because of COVID, told us we couldn't use their facilities. And so I just found out, again, we can't use um, Norbert, St. Norbert's, which we used, um, again, all next year. And so we're going to, this year, so we're looking at another location, um, because we really want to get back to doing those retreats that incorporate a lot of this. But we're here at week four, which is actually the fifth week. Is that confusing, right? Because week one didn't count as week one. It was, it was a foundational week. And then we go to four weeks. And that week for Ignatius has been a period of time. It didn't mean seven days. It meant a period of time, seven periods of, or four periods of time. And so we're in the last period of time in this 30-day um, Ignatian template and we've done this for a very particular reason. We wanted to give everybody an opportunity to really make sure and feel like you're grounded spiritually launching into this, into this new year in 2022. Now, it doesn't feel like the new year anymore. It's almost the end of January. But starting the, the first month off and just saying, let's just really um, get our, ourselves, our, our hearts with the Lord grounded, our souls full. And so we thought, let's use this ancient template and so we've been going through it. So we've looked at the, the um, we looked at ourselves, first looked at the glory of God, and then we looked at our own sinful selves for two weeks, we dealt with that. Then we looked at Jesus' public life, and then his, this last week, we combined it with fasting, right? Because we taught, looked at his, his death and passion. And so you spent this all last week um, in some form of, of fasting, which we thought would amplify that feeling of, of uh, the seriousness of his death and passion. And then... Um, so we spent that, and now today, we come to the final week, and if we did his public life, his death and passion, what's next? Resurrection. Jesus didn't stay in the grave, did he? No? So let, grab your Bibles if you have them, or fire up your, fire up your, I didn't say fire up your Kindles, uh, I'm old, fire up your, your phones, or whatever you have, and uh, open with me to the book of John. We're going to hop around a little bit in Scripture today. Um, John chapter 20 with me this morning. We're going to start with just two verses. So get to John chapter 20 and read two verses, then I'll kind of explain what's going on here. Um, Let me put it in context, and then we'll talk about it too. So this is a section right after Jesus has died. He's been buried. Mary and the others go to the tomb, and they found he's gone. He actually has an encounter with Mary recorded here in John. And then the disciples, though, don't really know what to, to make all of it, and they're going and they're hiding. Um, and uh, 
you know, don't know what the future holds. So we're right there. So there are a bunch of disciples hiding in a room because Jesus has been killed, and they're afraid. So verse 19, it says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, so they were afraid that the Jews were going to do to them what they did to Jesus, Jesus came, remember he's alive, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Who needs that message today? Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. Remember he'd been nails in his hands and they had thrust a sword in his side to prove it was him. And the disciples, look what the disciples did. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. These verses reveal what Ignatius hopes you and I will experience this week as we go through our fourth and our final week of the Ignatian Retreat template. And it's this. You'll experience joy. That's the goal. Who thinks it's a good idea to have, have experienced joy this week? Right? Amen. So this, that's Ignatius's plan for us. We've gone through the process, and now we're coming to the climax, and he's saying, I want you now to end this thing with hearts filled with joy. And the reason our hearts are going to be filled with joy is we're going to focus the whole week today and this week on something, that Jesus is really alive. Repeat after me. Say this. Say, Jesus is alive. Do you really believe that? A lot of people who even say they're Christians, they believe a theology, they believe, they believe a dusty old book, they think, but they don't really get the fact that Jesus is really alive and he's present. Well, that's what Ignatius um, wants the fourth week to, all about, to be all about. So, so think about this, how this happens in respect to the disciples that were locked in that room that day. Here the, we have the, the 12, and actually the 11, because Judas is, he's out of there. And so we have the 11, and these 11 have watched this mock trial of Jesus. They had seen him beaten mercifully, mercilessly. They had watched Roman soldiers take him, lay him on a cross, drive spikes through his hands and his feet. They seen it as his mother stood there and watched it. They watched it and he's dead and they stabbed him in the side with a spear. They watched as, as before he died as he hung there in the most excruciating agony any person could be in, literally suffocating to death by your own weight. They had watched all of this and then they had seen him taken and stuck in a borrowed cave in the ground, a tomb. And what had happened is, they had come to the end of their dreams, the dreams that they had of freedom from Rome. They thought Jesus was going to overthrow Rome. They thought that's what the Messiah was all about. The end of their dreams, they thought they were so hopeful. Roman oppression and domination was going to be over, and all of a sudden, the leader of that is dead. The end of their dreams of Israel rising to glory again. They had heard all the stories about all their answers. They had read the Old Testament. They had seen the stories of the glory of God and and pillars of fire leading them and and clouds by by day and fire by night and Red Seas parting and, and all these things, walls of Jericho falling. That's their history. And they thought the Messiah comes and and Israel will rise to glory again. Dashed dreams. The end, they came to the end of their dream 
of seeing their God, then who they knew, their one true God, to be exalted to the place that he deserved. And all the nations would worship him. And we see that what they did is they sat behind locked doors, trembling in fear that the Jews were going to come back, catch them, and do to them what they had done to Jesus. Remember at Jesus' trial, when the people kept saying to Peter, well, you're one of them, aren't you? Your voice gives you away. You're one of them. They knew that people were saying, well, you're associated with Jesus. And they're, they're hiding in fear. They're hiding behind locked doors with broken dreams. And to them, it's over. But the story doesn't end there. Because suddenly, we don't know how, the doors are locked. Somehow manifest Jesus, real, live Jesus, flesh and bone Jesus. They could touch his hand and touch his sides. Flesh and bone Jesus is standing in their midst and he's showing him his, their hand, his hands and his side. Why? Because he was alive. And what was their reaction? What was their response to this? Joy. Look what it says. They rejoiced. Rejoicing is is the expression of joy. They rejoiced when they saw Jesus alive. Well, friends, this is the type of response that Ignatius wants for you and me to experience this week as we spend our time in resurrection texts from Scripture. That we spend time looking at the resurrection of Jesus. He wants us to be filled with joy as we remind ourselves again and again and again that Jesus really is alive. That he's what? He's alive. And because he's alive, by the presence of his spirit, he is here with us right now. That's what Ignatius wants us to to wrestle with and, and to get and go, wait, this is really true. Jesus is with us. And remember, every week we've said Ignatius would express this desire for the week, every week different, but this, every week he called it, what's the grace we seek this week? What's the grace I seek? What am I looking to gain this week? And, and this is how he said it for, for this week about looking for joy. He says, this is the hope, to experience true human gladness and joy and to rejoice intensely because of the great glory and the joy and the hope that the resurrected Christ gives to me. So who thinks it's a good idea to experience a little joy this week? Amen? Amen? A little joy this week. You know, I, I do, and I kind of think that we're living uh, in, a, in, a, in a world right now that's kind of joyless. But friends, the message here from Scripture that Ignatius is helping us to encounter is that the world can be joyless around us, but that need not be the case for those of us who know Jesus, who know that he's alive and he's well. So for today and this week, I want to remind you of some of the reasons why we can rejoice knowing that Jesus is alive. These are reasons that you can write down and say, here's reasons I can rejoice. As you're looking at the resurrection scriptures, you're going to go, yes, it's right there in the scripture. This is why I can rejoice today. So you ready for some reasons why you of all people should be filled with joy in the reality of Christ, that Christ is alive? Amen? Well, here's the first reason. That because Jesus is alive, he is with you right now. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he said this, I am with you always, even till the end 
of the age. Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says this, I am always with you, always will be, I am with you. Church, I would say this, we need to start to act like we believe that this is really true. That Jesus is alive, and he's with us right now. So often we feel alone, and we feel fearful, and we feel overwhelmed. But just think of it. Those things disappear when we know that Jesus is literally standing with us, alive and well, in every situation we encounter. Scripture says things like this. We are hidden with Christ in God. That we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. That we are in Christ. They're all trying to talk about this union we have with Christ who is alive in every situation. Life in Christ is kind of like this. And you've you've seen this in in almost every movie you watch and in in any book you read. There's always, not always, but many times a scene that goes something like this. You got this guy or gal and they come to an encounter with somebody else. And they are, they're the, the lesser person in the encounter. They're the, the weaker one in the encounter. And they're faced with somebody who's bigger and stronger, maybe a group of people who are bigger and stronger, and often they're backing up because this group is advancing. And, and they know they, they're, they're, they're powerless in front of this group, and all of a sudden the advancing group stops, and they, and they flee. And the weaker person is, is looking around like, what's going on? And they look behind them, and there's the bigger, stronger. I was watching um, uh, The Patriot the other day. We're seeing The Patriot, Mel Gibson, about the Civil War, about the Revolutionary War. And at one scene, they set a trap for Cornwallis. And they all, the troops hide on one side of a hill, and they run out because they've been defeated, and they're all there, and they yell, fake, retreat, retreat. And they all go running over the hill, and Cornwallis goes, ah, we got him again. He's fighting for Britain. And they're caught again. They cross the hill, and here's the entire American army. And they attack. And they push Cornwallis back, and Cornwallis is defeated. That's the kind of scene, right? Where there's the weak guy, and they're fearful, and they're fleeing, and all of a sudden, they're coming, the stronger aggressor's coming, and they see somebody bigger standing behind him. You know those scenes? Almost every movie you watch has something like that. Well, friends, that's honestly what the Christian life is like. The truth about your life is that's what it really is like. That Jesus really is alive. It's not a fairy tale. Jesus really is alive and he's really there standing with you no matter what you encounter. You are in Christ. You are, you are hidden in Christ and God. You are seated in heavenly places. You are, are in a very real living relationship with the living Savior of the Lord, of the, of the world. Friends, that ought to do one thing for you. That ought to fill your heart with joy. Does that fill your heart with joy knowing that? That when, when the enemy crests a hill thinking he's got you defeated, he goes, oh, crud. <laughs> Look who's standing behind him. Look who's standing behind her. Look who's standing with him. It's the Son of God. It's Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. That's who's standing with you. When we get that reality, it changes everything what we encounter for life. So this week, as we think about that, he's alive, let that sink in. You're never alone. He's with you. That's a reason to rejoice, right? You ready to think about another reason to rejoice? Think of this. Because Jesus is alive, 
He takes care of your sin problem. He takes care of our sin problem. Now, I'll probably get some person who thinks they're being cute here, and you're welcome to do that. But does anybody in the room really think you're perfect? Sinless, perfect? Good. Because guess what? We're not. And the Apostle John didn't think that any of us were perfect either, any of us were sinless either. He knew that even though we are followers of Jesus, really want to serve him, like all we, like we do, and even though Jesus, through his death on the cross, has forgiven our sins, and we stand, the Bible says that we stand before God justified, meaning we're free in having had our sin debt canceled. And some people say this way, just as if we had never sinned. That's positionally who we are in Christ. When, when God looks at us, that's who he sees. We, 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 we don't, we're, not, we're not bloodied by sin. We're not, we're not marred by sin. But still, we live in a fallen world, and the, the, the world that's fallen through sin has its influence on us, and it does affect us negatively, and we still are all affected in such a way that we engage in sinful activity. All of us do. Well, the Apostle John has something to say about that that should fill our hearts with joy. Flip in your Bible, further back towards the end, to 1 John. The book of 1 John. Kind of near the end. Am I in the wrong book here? I put the thing in the wrong place. All right, 1 John, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But, say but, but, if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, some of your translations write it a little bit different. That's actually the NIV translation. Um, but this is the, the intention. Some say the word this word, propitiation. He's a propitiation for our sins. Some of you say that. Um, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Some of you say that. But here's the meaning of it. That we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Imagine what this might be like. And I'm not saying it's 100% right, but Scripture does give us this picture. There's the scene is in heaven. God the Father is, is on his glorious throne and he's, he's surrounded by the heavenly host and they're, and they're doing his will and they're worshiping him and, and it's perfect and it's beautiful and, and everything is right and in the, into that environment in the, in the heavenlies enters Satan, the accuser of the brethren. An encounter like we see in the book of Job and this is why it's not fanciful to say this. It's an encounter like we literally see in the scriptures in the book of Job. Satan enters and he's accusing, like he did to Job. He's accusing Job. Well, he would only serve you because you've always blessed him. He's accusing. He's making accusations to the Father. He's telling lies about the people that the Father is watching. He says something like this. Look at that Bill Smith or Mark Larson or whomever. Look at that guy. 
You call him a Christian? Do you know what a rotten, rank sinner that guy is? He says he's a believer, but you know what? I know the details. I know the dark secrets in his life. You know, I caught him cheating on his taxes. I caught him watching pornography. I caught him telling lies to his children and to his wife and to his employer. Sinner, 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 that's who he is. Punish him, reject him, stop calling him your child. He's a phony. He's not real, he's not right. He is, just just discard that guy. And the accuser of the brethren is, 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 is spewing his accusations and his lies before the Father. But then you hear another voice. It's a kind voice. It's a, it's a loving and a grace-filled voice. And in walks Jesus. And he says, oh, oh, Satan, you have it all wrong. Bill, that Bill right there, he's one of my followers. He used to think that he was his own God. He used to go his own way. But he recognized that, that he was lost and he needed a Savior. And, and he turned away from following his own path. And he's been following me and he's come to me and he's given me his life. And I died on the, I died on the cross for him. My blood that was shed is covering his sins. He's forgiven. And Jesus turns to the Father. He says, Father... Mark, he's one of ours. Bill, he's one of ours. Don't listen to a word from the liar, snake, deceiver. Don't listen to him. Bill is a child of God, and I love him, and I died for him, and he's one of my followers. Now, do I know for sure that's how it happens in heaven? I don't know, but Job kind of paints a picture like that. But what we do know from this text from John is that when we sin... Jesus speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus goes to the Father and accuses the brother and is saying this, and, and Jesus goes and says, no, 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 no. He's one of ours. Jesus says, you are forgiven. Jesus says, you are free. Jesus says, he owns you. He says that, that you are one with him. Now, knowing that, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Joyful. This is what Ignatius wants for us. Joyful, yes. Because the accuser of the brethren does not get the final word. Jesus does. And Jesus is on our side. He's our protector. He's our provider. How? Why? Because the tomb didn't hold him. Jesus is alive. So he's your defender today. That fills my heart with joy. And I hope it does yours too. Are we starting to see why Ignatius ties joy, the resulting joy, to contemplating the resurrection um, reality of Jesus? That the final week, he's saying, focus on the resurrection and the fact that Jesus is alive. And he says, if you'll do that, the result will come. What will come out of it, you'll you'll get joy. So you ready for another reason to be filled with joy today? Yeah? What else brings joy? Because Jesus is alive, this is an amazing one. He's praying for you. Flip in your Bible to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, the 34th verse. This will bring joy to your heart. It says this. Who is the one who condemns and 
and he doesn't answer it here, but who's the one that condemns us? The enemy, Satan. Jesus Christ is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who does what? Who also intercedes for us. Because he is alive, not only is Jesus defending us before the Father when we sin, he's also praying for us continually. Praying for our blessings, praying for our strength, praying for our peace. You see, intercession, it's the intercedes. Intercession means praying on the behalf of another. Jesus is praying to the Father on your behalf. Just think about that for a moment, right now. What's going on in your life? Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. You know, it's very important to me, I hope to you, to know that others are praying for me. It's very important to me. I know that my wife, Suzanne, who's up helping her mom move in Tennessee this week, I hope you're watching. If you are, I love you. I miss you. I know that my wife prays for me every single day. I know that some of you have told me, some of you who can't get out of the house but you watch on TV also have told me that you pray for me every day or almost every single day. There's a group of people during the week that meets here to pray every single week and last week when they were finished, one of the ones who was here to pray came by my office and talked about many things but said this to me that was so important to me. He said, just so you know, you were prayed for today. That makes me happy. I want prayer, I need prayer, we all do, right? But now get your mind around the truth of Romans 8. It's great to have prayer from people. We need it, and the scriptures say we should pray for one another. But because Jesus was raised from the dead and is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father, now he is praying for us. Jesus today is praying for you. What challenges are you facing today? Well, Jesus is praying for you about it. That's a wow. Jesus is praying for you about your challenges. That should fill our hearts with joy. Are you feeling a bit down today? Jesus is praying for you. Getting the fact that Jesus is praying for you will change everything about your life. Right? So what are you going to face this week? I don't know. But should you live in fear? No. Why? Because Jesus is alive and he's praying for you. And if he's praying for you, what better thing could there be? Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus is praying for me as I preach. And you as you hear. He's praying for you. Why? Because he's not some dead theology or philosophy. A lot of religions have dead philosophy and theology. We have a living Savior. who the, the, They killed him on the cross by, by him allowing it. But the grave couldn't hold him, and he rose from the dead. And he's sitting there, he's defending us, and he's praying for us in every situation we encounter. That's the truth of Scripture. It's why we need the Word, friends, the Word of God, because it tells us the truth. Let's think about one more reason to be joyful today, all right? One more. Because Jesus is alive, we have a picture of our own future. See, the empty tomb on Easter morning wasn't an isolated incident. Scripture teaches that one day everyone will be resurrected. 
everyone will be raised, raised out of the tomb. Look at how the Apostle Paul wrote about this to the church in Thessalonica. Turn to the, the book of, of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians. Hope you're getting some practice flipping your Bible to different books. It's one of the things we lose when we always use the phone. And I'm not anti-phone and Bible because you carry it all, all over the place. But we lose that a little bit of even being able to find something in, in the printed word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read from verse 13 to verse 18. Look at what it says about this reality of our resurrection. But we do not know, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, or other Christian people, about those who are asleep, which means those who have died, so that you will not grieve as the rest of the world who has no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So it's not opinion, it's the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep or died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up with together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Church, Christian, all people, the grave is not the end. We as Christians, that, that reality, we won't talk about people who aren't Christians, but as Christians, because of that, we have great hope. See, just like Jesus died and rose again, so will every follower of Jesus. Jesus' life in all ways was meant to be a model for us. So we want to understand how the perfect, the perfect sinless human lives, we look to Jesus. That's why when you want to figure out how you should live and you say, I, sh should I act this way or that way? Well, you look at how Jesus lived and acted. And you, you act like Jesus because, because that's what the Spirit's forming you into, like Jesus. But we don't only live, only like, live like Jesus. We also look at last week how we suffer like Jesus. We act on how we suffer like Jesus and we learn through suffering. But it doesn't end there either. We also rise from the grave like Jesus. Jesus is our model in all things. So if you want to know what you're supposed to be like and what you're going to be like, you look at Jesus. Jesus is our model. We will all, as followers of Jesus, rise. There's a day coming when Jesus will descend, it says here, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And all those who are dead as believers, already died before that, will be raised just like Jesus was raised from the dead. And those who are still alive when this happens will be changed and they will together be joined with Jesus in the air. Instantly. New bodies. Resurrected bodies. Talking today to, to somebody about bad backs. No more bad backs. No more glasses. No more hearing aids. I don't have a sense anymore that works. COVID took away my smell. I can't see. I can't hear. I can't taste. All I can do is touch. I got nothing else left. <laughs> In heaven, I'll have them. Amen? And so will you. 
brand new bodies, resurrected bodies, living forever in the glory of God with Jesus, his son. Jesus' resurrection wasn't a one-time event. No, it was meant to be an example. It's an example of what is to come for everyone who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior and follows him. Joy, joy, joy. That's what we get when we look at the reality that Jesus is alive. Resurrection to, 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 to beautiful, pain-free, sin-free life in the presence of God is the promise to every person who knows Jesus as Savior that ought to make us rejoice. Right? That's our future. We get to look forward to it. And I want you to think about something this morning. Maybe you're here or maybe you're watching. And talking about all this doesn't make you joyful. Because it means nothing to you. You're not in relationship with the living Savior. Here's the other thing Jesus says. Listen to what he says here in John chapter 6. Jesus said it like this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have everlasting life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Friend, that's the promise for every person. Every one of us, I was going to say good or bad, but without Jesus there really is no good. Every one of us fallen, needy creatures can recognize our need for Jesus and can give our lives to him and say, Jesus, I don't want to be my God anymore. I want, I want to follow you. And Lord, I ask you to forgive my sins and make me brand new. And friends, he stands with wide open arms and he says, come on home. I'm not, leaving, I'm not believing the lies that the devil's speaking about you anymore. Come on in. You're forgiven. You're justified just as if you had never sinned. That's the whole reason Jesus came as a human into this world was to make that offer to everyone. Somebody says, yeah, but it's not for me. It's for everyone. Jesus did it for everyone. He loves you that much. If you've not done it today, I'm asking you in the depths of your heart to say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to turn away from my old self-willed life. I want to turn away from the garbage. I want to turn away from the pain. And I come to you and I ask you to receive me, cleanse me, forgive me, make me brand new. And from this day forward, I want to walk with you. I want to walk in relationship with you. And I can. Why? Because you're alive. Man, that's what God wants for us. Amen? So for this week, today and this week, fourth and final week of the Ignatian retreat template, what we want to focus on, fill our hearts with, is the resurrection reality of Jesus, resurrection texts, so that we are filled with joy.
You know, we've given you that booklet. It's the it's the coming to the end. One more week to use it. Use it any time. You know, in that in the book for final for week that's all in the, all in the connection area. Week four, it's going to give you the text you can look at. Give you a spiritual exercise that you can do. It's going to talk about the examine this week. How you can look at your life at the your day at the end of the day and invite God to show you where He's been, how He's been helping you, where you've missed Him, where you followed Him. Great spiritual practice and a bunch of texts, resurrection texts that you can just just live into for the coming week. So friends, what do I want you to walk out of here with today? Hearts filled with joy. And we can do it, why? Because Jesus is alive. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for the truth of your word. And Lord, I want to just thank you today on behalf of our church for raising up leaders over the centuries who had wisdom and followed your lead, and that we got to spend five weeks just living into the wisdom of this wonderful man named Ignatius of Loyola. Now, we got to learn from him and be, be led by him through this template that helped us take us through a journey from dealing with, just dealing with the reality of our own life and sin to seeing what can be, that what life can be if we'll walk with you. And Lord, I pray this now. I pray as we launch out out of this Sunday morning service into the weeks that we have, that, that Lord, what we've, been, but what we've been learning and growing into over this last month would literally give us the foundation to face whatever we're going to face in the coming year. Because, Lord, only you know what's ahead. We've learned that over the last two years, Lord, and it's, you've always been true, but we just didn't always believe it, that we don't even know what tomorrow holds. And that we don't, we're never supposed to. We're all supposed to walk by faith. And Lord, now as we walk by faith, God, we, uh, we walk by faith with joy-filled hearts knowing that, that you are walking with us. You're praying for us. You're defending us. And we know what our future looks like. So Lord, I pray today that you'd fill our hearts with the richness of your truth of your word that, God, we'd be so filled with joy because of you that when we walk into the workaday world, they would look at us and go, what in the world happened to you? Why are you smiling from ear to ear? And he'd say, oh, that's because just my best friend named Jesus, Savior of the world, he's with me today, and he loves me, and he loves you too. And that, Lord, as we lift you up, you would draw them into yourself. So, Lord, let your blessings and your, and your rich fullness literally carry us and hold us as we walk with you into everything we'll encounter. We thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friends. If you'd like prayer, we'll be down here to pray with you um, at the, at the, right, right now. And otherwise, when you feel dismissed by the Lord, make your way out of the sanctuary. Have a great time. Drink a cup of coffee with somebody. Spend some time interacting because you got every reason to be joyful. God bless you.